What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. The NBA playoffs are heating up and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over. Age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Live from MMA Fighting Studios, this is Between the Links. And now, your host, Mike Heck. The iconic voice of Esther Lynn welcomes you back once again to a brand new edition of Between the Links. Hope everyone's having a wonderful week. We have a fun matchup in store. We have some big news at the top of the show and also a big announcement in regards to this program at the bottom. So stay locked in for that information. That is going to be a fun announcement to make. But let us make this first big reveal. And normally the person who was victorious the week prior gets announced second. But this week was a little different because... There was no winner after the show last week. We left it up to you guys to vote for who you thought won the matchup between Jose Youngs and Damon Martin. It was a spirited battle. And a lot of you waited on this. And I'll say, like, in regards to how you all voted, this was like a quantity versus quality because the winner got the most votes, but the guy who didn't win got... There were such passionate pleas as to why this person should have won. I got paragraphs as to why this person should have won. Unfortunately, I didn't get enough of those paragraphs because Damon Martin got the votes, and that's all that matters at the end of the day. I got Damon. I got DM. I got D. I got all different things. Jose, I was getting stories about why he should have won, but people just wanted to, to let me know Damon Martin won. He got the most votes, and he's now... Back on the show, looking to make it two straight. Damon, congratulations on the victory last week. Welcome back to the program. And I I appreciate the quantity, but I also feel like I brought some quality too. Yes. I mean, it, just, it, it was just the messages. It was just the messages of people. Like, Jose was like chapter one of why Jose should have won paragraph. Yours is just like Damon won, Damon won, Damon won. It was like two-word answers. So that's why people just, people thought you won. More people thought you won. That's all that matters. But as we promised last week, we have a special guest joining the panel. I believe 
He is in Florida. He's in the Sunshine State, touring with his band Waves. He's the singer-songwriter for the band, and on top of that, he's a huge fan of mixed martial arts. He says he wants all the smoke, and when you say that, you get the damn call. He answered, so happy to welcome Nathan Williams to the panel this week. How are you, sir? You are in Florida, right? That's where the uh, the tour has you guys right now? Yep, I'm uh, in Miami right now. Um, and, uh, yeah, I do want all the smoke. I'm, I meant that when I said it, Michael Heck. I meant it. <laughs> well, I appreciate that, and uh, let's get right into this thing. Let's begin with a big announcement that took place earlier this week. It's finally happening after all the trash talk, all the no-selling, the three-piece in a soda, and more. We are finally scheduled to see the fight between Leon Edwards and Jorge Mazadal, December 11th, UFC 269, a three-round fight. And this fight now joins the Charles Oliveira, Dustin Poirier, and Amanda Nunes, Juliana Pena title fights. And it shifted the trilogy fight between Brandon Moreno and Davis and Figueredo to January at UFC 270. So, Damon, we're going to kick things off with you. This is a fight everyone has wanted to see for a while. They finally are, at least business-wise, in each other's paths. And this is a no-brainer fight to make for both sides, in my opinion. But before we talk about the significance of the matchup for both guys, the, the, the UFC really seemed to want to get this thing on this particular card. They pushed the flyweight title fight back a month, and 269 was already looking really solid without it. So I guess like my first question is, did this card need this fight? Like, Why do you think the UFC pulled the trigger on doing this one in December instead of January or February? Well, I know part of it comes down to Jorge Masvidal. He really wanted to fight this year. He wanted to get another fight in this year after losing to Kamara Usman. He didn't want to wait until 2022 to fight again. So I think that was a big part of it. Now, I also know Leon Edwards has said he didn't want to fight again before a title fight unless he got to fight in 2021. So I think you put those two factors together. That really you know, uh, exemplified why they wanted to do this fight right now as opposed to waiting. Um, you know, And then doing it, I mean, it seems like the business model for the UFC has shifted a little bit in the way they're building cards because lately a lot of the fight night cards have been kind of well no not kind of they've been terrible they've been terrible <laughs> cards i mean they're not they're not good cards they're they're not stacked at all the main events have been weird kind of i mean i understand injuries and things like that kind of ruin some of them but there have been some really bad main events and just overall terrible cards but the pay-per-views have been stacked i mean ufc 266 was stacked ufc 267 is stacked ufc 268 is stacked uh, it seems like they're really paying attention at least until next year when I assume they'll be able to go back out into arenas and have crowds for fight night cards again. Then maybe they'll start doing those again. Because in my opinion, this fight between Masvidal and Edwards seems tailor-made to take to either London or Miami. I mean, there's just you can imagine they would sell out an arena or at least get a lot of ticket sales in either place for that fight. But because they can't do that, because it would be behind closed doors, at the UFC Apex, as they're doing for at least the rest of this year, I think that's part of the reason why this ended up on UFC 269, as opposed to you know next year or a later card or a fight night card. So uh, my only other argument with this fight is it's about damn time. It's three years uh, past when it should have happened. I mean, these guys had a backstage altercation, the three piece in a soda, very famous incident. And listen, I understand, like, you think about it, like, that fight should have been booked right away. Now, without that, you don't get, maybe you don't get, you know, Masvidal, you know, uh, you know, leaving Ben Askren, you know, laid waste to him in five seconds a few months later, which kind of, you know, propelled Jorge into the spotlight. Um, you know, so, you know, that, I think, like, I understand now you can say it in retrospect, uh, you know, oh, well, you know, they did the right thing by not making the fight back then because you got the Askren knockout. 
But that being said, this is about three years too late. It should have been booked, you know, right after this happened or relatively soon after this happened. But I'm glad it's finally happening, and uh, and it's going to be a big fight for both Jorge and for Leon. What do you think, Nathan? Why now? Like, why not wait? I mean, because let's just say, like, January, it's not done yet, but it's looking like Anaheim, February. I mean, Florida's wide open to the UFC. Like, if they want to go to Miami, they can go to Miami. If they want to go to Fort Lauderdale and go to Fort Lauderdale. If they want to go to Orlando or Tampa or wherever, they could go because Florida doesn't give an F about anything right now. You can go and have 100,000 people in a place, and they don't really care. So why now? Like, why do you think they did this right now instead of waiting till like, the first quarter of 2022? Um, that's a good question. I think the better question is though, why now, why not three years ago, right? Like, why was this not made immediately? I think in this, uh, like in the next couple of months or the beginning quarter one of next year, that doesn't as much interest me. I think probably the reason that it was made now is what you said earlier. Um, Leon said he wanted to fight one more time, uh, this year and Masvidal can't throw around as much weight coming off of two losses. He fought for the title twice. He lost both times. He doesn't have an excuse this time. And so this fight just makes more sense now. Um, but I mean, I, I am glad that, that Edwards gets this fight. That was the first thought I had is I'm glad he finally gets a chance at a little bit of revenge. Um, but then my second reaction is why does he need to take this fight? I mean, it's good for him. Like the Diaz fight, why did he need to take that fight? They're both big fights for, for the guy, right? Like they're the two biggest fights he's had. But even before that, he accepted the Hamzat fight. And, and I say accepted very loosely, right? Because <laughs> when the promotion takes you out of the rankings, it's not really accepting. It's not a two-way street with the UFC. Um, so I think at this point, I don't think that, Leon has a choice and I think the UFC has made it abundantly clear to him. So it's, it isn't really a choice for him. I don't know why they would make it now as opposed to next year. And I agree with you, Miami or London, those are the two places and Miami makes more sense right now because Florida doesn't give a flying fuck what you do. (laughs) I mean, just being here a few days, it's wild stuff. So I don't know why, but I guess I'm glad that he finally got the fight. So let's let's sort of talk about what this all means because you guys both sort of planted the seeds here because Nathan the rivalry is certainly there. Edwards has won nine in a row. A lot of people feel he should be fighting for the title right now or should have a long time ago. And then there's Mazadal who, like you said, he's become one of the biggest stars in the sport, but he's lost back to back fights both to Kamar Usman. First one on less than a week's notice, cool. Second one was on a full camp and he was on the receiving end for of a surefire finalist for the knockout of the year in 2021 when we start doing these awards. So who do you think needs this one more? Because you got Edwards who is on this mission to get what he deserves in a fight that he's favored to win against one of the biggest stars in the sport. And then you have Mazadal who might be losing a little bit of steam, like you said, in the star department and would lose his third straight fight. So who do you think needs this one more? Edwards. Easy. Because Edwards is always at odds with the promotion. And when you're at odds with the promotion, you've got to do at least twice as much work. If Masvidal loses to Edwards, he's still going to get a big fight because they have a good relationship and it works for the promotion. He's going to make them money. Edwards is not necessarily the type of guy that's going to go out and he's going to make big fights talking shit. That's just not his style. But Masvidal, after the... uh, the beef 
with um, uh, what's his name, uh, Ben Askren, and then the three piece in a soda, and then a little bit of the like thing with the Diaz brothers. I mean, he's he's got people interested in seeing him fight. He's got casuals interested in seeing him fight. Um, Leon, not as much. So I'd say it's more important for him. Yeah, and you probably—I would say you probably agree with that, Damon. But just like there's a whole thing with the star potential. Like if Connor, like Connor going out and getting bolted by Dustin Poirier twice, like it sucks for him. It sucks for his title implications. But there's still big fights out there for him. Like he is the—he has the big seat at the big table when it comes to superstardom. And Mazadal is probably there. Like he probably has one of the seats, but. You know, some of his political opinions and things like that, people have started to fall off a little bit. So maybe this this does mean more for him. Maybe the star power is starting to diminish a little bit. If he goes out and loses to Leon Edwards, a guy that fans don't necessarily think that highly of, maybe that drops him down a little bit more. Maybe he's back in the waiting room again when it comes to the star potential. So do you, do you, can you make an argument that Mazadal at all, can you make any kind of argument at all that Mazadal needs this one more than Leon? Not, I mean, and, and to, you know, to, to agree with, you know, what you said there uh, about, you know, Lee, and I would, I would disagree slightly and say, you know, the promotion, I would say he's also at odds with the fans because the fans just have never really gotten on board with Leon for whatever reason. They just don't like him. Uh, you know, the whole controversy with, you know, sitting out and being out and none of that was out of his control. All of that was out of his control with the pandemic going on, his fight with Tyron Woodley getting canceled. None of that was his fault, but you know, when the UFC paints you in a picture and says that you're not taking fights or, or you're not fighting or whatever, uh, the fans kind of turn against you and the fans are, and the fans just don't seem to be on board Leon. Uh, so that's, I think what he's fighting an uphill battle with right now. And I think that's why this fight matters so much, but for, for Masvidal, yeah, it definitely matters. And, and, and I would say, I won't, you know, I won't say it matters more than what it matters to Leon, but it definitely matters because listen, Jorge Masvidal has been around forever. You know, this is a almost 20 year veteran of the sport. He had to wait until, you know, basically leaving Ben Askren laying in a pile of super necessary uh, knees to, to, you know, to basically become a star. I mean, Jorge's never been that guy. I, I wrote articles about Jorge when he was fighting Gilbert Melendez back in strike force saying he was one of the most unheralded guys in the sport because no one really knew him. He was just a worker. He just went out there and did his business and he was a great fighter, but he never quite reached that apex of becoming a champion. Uh, we got to remember Masvidal becoming a star is a very, very, very recent thing. I mean, this was within the last couple of years. So it does matter because at the end of the day, you want your stars to win. I mean, yes, Connor's star power is in a different stratosphere, but just like with what, what Ronda Rousey dealt with, you know, enough losses, enough bad losses, people will start to tune out on you. People will start to lose interest when you're just not winning and not in competitive fights. If, if Connor comes back and gets, you know, t- torn apart by, you know, uh, Rafael Fiziev or, or some other lightweight out there that's kind of making waves, yeah, he'll still be a star, but it will start to diminish. I mean, you want to see your stars win. That's just the, the nature of sports. And uh, and same thing with Masvidal. I think getting, you know, getting laid out the way he did against Kamar Usman a guy that everyone said couldn't possibly strike with Jorge Masvidal to go out there and get knocked out the way he did is a very, very bad look for a guy who has called himself one of the best strikers in the sport, a guy who was dismantling Nate Diaz on the feet before the stoppage. Um, so, yeah, it's really important for Masvidal because he needs to go out there and remind people how good he is. He needs to remind people that he is a star. He needs to remind people that he is one of the best welterweights in the sport. And unfortunately, one of the downsides of our sport is is that we live in a you know a recency bias. We live in a prisoner of the moment sport. 
you're only as good as your last fight. Now, there's some truth to that, but there's also a lot of falsehoods to that. And the reality is, Jorge Masvidal lost to the best welterweight in the sport. I would argue, talent-wise, the best welterweight ever. And I know a lot of George St. Pierre fans are going to freak out on me on that, but I think Kamar Usman is unbelievably talented. There's no shame in losing to that guy by knockout, submission, decision, whatever. But that's what everyone remembers about Masvidal right now. So he needs to go out there and remind people, yeah, I am one of the best welterweights in the world. Yeah, I am as good as advertised. And uh, and a loss here would be devastating. I mean, he'll still be a star, and he could still do the Nate Diaz rematch, let's say. But his 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 prospects at welterweight, you know, are I won't say gone, but they're <laughs> quite diminished. Damon, do you think if the three piece Minnesota thing never happened, that Leon Edwards would be in a better place with everybody? Like, I feel like that that just crushed him. Like. He's always going to be the guy who got got backstage by Jorge Masvidal. Like that's that's the meme. That's what everybody. He's just it's kind of etched in everybody's minds. Like when you mention Leon Edwards, he's the guy that Jorge Masvidal punched in the face backstage and couldn't really do much about, and the fight never got booked. Do you think this fight helps maybe take that away? Like, do you think we'd even be having this conversation about Leon Edwards if that incident didn't happen? If he just stayed away from Masvidal and Lorisenko, if he just ignored it, walked to the back and didn't say a word. Would we be having this conversation about Edwards, his relationship with the fans, and maybe how the UFC views him in terms of matchmaking? There's there's two sides to that coin. I would agree wholeheartedly that he came out <laughs> looking worse in that situation, especially when you know Hori does the interview and he calls it I had to hand him a three piece and a soda, which is now, you know, right up there with your know, red panty night as far as like iconic phrases in our sports history. That that's up there. So you want it, you feel bad for him, kind of like you know Jeremy Stevens for all the things he's done in his career. How many times does he have to you know who the fuck is that guy? I mean that's all he ever hears now. No matter what he does for the rest of his career, that's gonna haunt him. Uh, that's the reality. But on the other side, Leon and I, I like Leon very much. I've interviewed him many times. Incredibly nice guy. He has never been that guy to go out there and put on those kind of performances to where people are just buzzing about you afterwards. He didn't do. He didn't have, you know, those kind of big, hot, flashy knockouts. He's never been a trash talk guy. I mean, he, you know, they, he talked about it on the MMA Hour yesterday with Ariel, where he said that, you know, when he was in his own home country, he got booed walking out to the to the cage for a fight against Gunnar Nelson because he had gotten into a war of words with Darren Till. Darren Till, of course, another British fighter, but because he had gone to war with a very well liked guy, he got booed in his own country. So this is a guy who needs. <laughs> shine of any kind now yes the the Masvidal thing is a terrible look for him but it did bring him in a weird way brought him to the forefront of people's minds because I guarantee you just beating Gunnar Nelson by I think it was a split decision that night uh no one would have no one would have cared all anyone would have talked about was was Masvidal knocking out Darren Till that's all anyone would have talked about at least he got in the conversation not in the right way and not in the way I'm sure he wanted to get in the conversation but at least he's gotten people paid attention to him and then for the last three years He's been saying he's ducking me, he's running away, Maswell doesn't want this fight. And again, there's a majority of fans who are still saying, Oh, you're you know, you got three pieces in a soda, shut up. But at least people are talking about you. It's like the old adage, you know, it's better to have people saying anything about you than nothing about you. It's the you know, there's no such thing as bad publicity. As bad as it was for him, and I would say yes, he definitely <laughs> came out on the wrong end of that. Uh, at least people know Leon Edwards because we got to be honest here just based on his fight credentials just based on the wins he's had he's not been that guy his biggest win is four years ago over vicente luque when vicente luque wasn't a top welterweight he's not vicente luque of today 
He doesn't have those marquee wins. He doesn't have those high-profile fights. He got the Nate Diaz fight, which was supposed to be his crowning achievement, and then he goes out and almost loses in the fifth round, and all anyone could talk about was Nate Diaz. So Leon, in a weird way, as bad as that was for him, it at least brought him to the forefront of people's minds where otherwise, you know, he would have gotten that uh, – I'm trying to I'm trying to think like like you know that that the 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 welterweights or the, the the lightweights the guys who are always their workers they're workers, but they're just there's never any buzz about them. At least there's a buzz about Leon now. Nathan, you've watched the sport long enough, and we'll let me just ask this to both of you gentlemen, then we'll move on. If Leon Edwards goes out and wins December 11th, which the odds makers and a lot of fans are expecting him to do, whether people like Leon or not. I mean, I feel like if he goes out and sleeps Mazadal, it's a no-brainer. Edwards gets the title shot. But like Damon said, Leon's not isn't typically that kind of fighter goes out and sleeps people. So let's say, Nate, that Leon Edwards does what a lot of people seem to be predicting he will do. He will tactfully go out, win a three-round decision. What are the chances that Dana White gets up to that table after that card and says, you know what, Leon Edwards, his next fight will be for the belt. Don't need no matchmaking meeting on Tuesday. Leon's our guy. What are the chances that happens? <clears throat> I guess you never know. You would think that that is impossible. And I think Leon even said on Helwani's show uh, this week that he has it in writing that the winner of this fight is getting a title shot. So you hope that he actually has that in writing. UFC sticks to it. And, and you know, that's what happens. But... Dana holds the power and, you know, Dana can go and stand up at the post fight presser and spin whatever shit he wants to. He can walk out there in a howler head t-shirt that's 14 sizes too small for him. And he can tell you that the fighters like getting paid less because their families won't hit him up for money. It's it's beyond (laughs) absurd. So who knows what will happen? You, You can't say for certain, but I'd like to think that, yeah, if he wins this fight, even if it's technical, he goes out there. Uh, is it three rounds or is it five rounds? It's three rounds, which is a shame. He goes out there three. Yeah, that kind of sucks. But oh, so he goes out there three rounds and he technically beats Mosfidal, which that's what the bookies think is going to happen. That's what I tend to think is going to happen, too. And and you've never met a part time bookie. So that's I think what will happen if he does that. I think that he gets a title shot. I mean, he's on a bajillion fight win streak. It's you know, whether you like him or not, it's hard to to keep saying no. You agree, Damon? Like, are we in the specific... I mean, listen, Usman's still got to be Colby, and if Colby wins, you know they're going to run this thing back. So we have to wait to see how that plays out. But in your heart of hearts, are you thinking to yourself, Leon's got to got to finish Mazadal to, to get in the good grace of the UFC, or do you think a win here is enough? His next fight will be for the belt. This sounds terrible, and it's not a knock on Leon Edwards in any way, shape, or form. It's just the reality. If Leon gets a title shot based on anything in December, it's going to be because Kamar Usman beats Colby Covington for a second time and he has no one left to fight. That's just the reality. Kamar Usman has beaten every top-ranked welterweight out there right now. If he beats Colby Covington, and I believe he will, I think he'll actually dominate him more this time than he did the last time. Uh, If if he beats Colby Covington, who's left? I mean, who's left? Who's Who's left? He beat Masvidal twice. He already, he just beat Gilbert Burns this year. Uh, you know, Wonder Boy lost to Gilbert Burns. It's not going to be Wonder Boy. Um, you know, the only other guy left would be you know if Hamza Chimaev can go out on October 30th and destroy Li Jingliang and then maybe pick up another win. You could argue maybe Hamza gets the superstar treatment and he gets bounced right into a title shot. But even that doesn't that seems still at least a year away. So who's left? So I think Leon winning 
in any way, shape, or form, even if it's kind of like the Diaz fight where he doesn't, you know, he wins, but it's not the greatest performance. I mean, there's like a closing moment where you're kind of like, oh, man, you almost let that one slip away. I think going on an 11-fight undefeated streak and then Usman being champion is how you get your rematch because Usman has no one left to fight. I mean, there's there's no one. I mean, he has laid waste to the welterweight division, and he's now going back through the list again. Uh, and his fight with, with Leon was years ago. This was like, I think it was Leon's debut in the UFC. So it's years and years ago. Um, so they can resell that and at least try to put that rematch together. So, yeah, I think w- a win is enough as long as Kamar Usman stays champion. If Kamar Usman stays champion, I think Leon will get the title shot no matter how he beats Masvidal because the reality is Usman doesn't have anyone else to fight. Yeah, and if Mazadal wins, then all hell breaks loose, which in our sport, that's probably what's going to end up happening. And then I don't, I don't even want to think what, what would happen if Mazadal won and then gets a third fight with Usman after two decisive losses. But it is what it is. We could talk about this fight for another 45 minutes and all the different angles, but that goes down December 11th. It's something people are very excited about. A positive start to the show in terms of topic. Unfortunately, we're about to go in a different direction. Things are about to take a turn. But the point for round one goes to... Goes to the defending champ, Damon Martin. Good stuff. Nathan getting the rust off. He's getting going. He's starting to feel it. So here we go. Uh, This is a sucky. Rigged. Getting rigged. I mean, you've listened to the show long enough to know how this is going to go, so don't worry about that. uh, I wanted to be the first to sweep every round. To sweep every round? I think think in – we've done, like, this iteration of the show, like – for a couple of years, but it was multiple people to start. And I think only one time we didn't go to the knockout round because it was just so <laughs> such a vicious beating. Uh, we, we couldn't go, but. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. The NBA playoffs are heating up and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. Don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And new customers to DraftKings can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. So unfortunately, we have to talk about this. It's such a massive story because we found out Luis Pena was arrested this past weekend in Florida 
uh, after allegedly striking his partner with a closed fist, uh, continuing to, to sort of beat her up on the ground. Second woman allegedly tried to help. She was allegedly punched as well. And the police report was just a really tough read, if we're being honest. And then we find out on Tuesday, Pena was released from the UFC. Dana White reacted to it, saying that this is a really bad case. Police report painted a horrifying picture. He had to go. And I just listened to the 911 audio that TMZ released. It's, again, just adds to this sort of horrifying thing. So Pena's gone. Police report paints horrifying picture. He, he has to go. John Jones is arrested for alleged domestic violence. A police report attached to that whole thing was really awful to read as well. And he has since not been released by the UFC. So it, it was really fascinating about all this when dana was asked about john jones and this is a, like if this is a sign of things to come in essence dana said pretty much that this could happen to anybody this punishment could happen to anybody and unfortunately nobody followed up with dana with dana on that so nathan let me start with you here because there's a lot to unpack there's a lot of unknowns with this whole situation but here we have two fighters accused of really terrible things with awful pictures being painted in police reports one fighter is gone the other, a former world champion, one of the greatest of all time, a polarizing figure, is, as of right the second, not gone. How is this a thing? How is this possible? Well, I mean, we know the answer, right? It's because John Jones is a needle mover and Luis Pena isn't. That's, I mean, that's the only answer to this. John Jones brings the promotion money and Luis Pena doesn't. And that's what the UFC cares about. And th these are not the first guys. Let's be honest about this. This isn't the first time this has happened. Um, and the UFC, if it gets enough heat on something, they'll address it in one way or another. They'll deflect in one way or another. But it, it and don't get me wrong, these situations are bad. They're really bad. The Pena situation is really bad. And so is the John Jones situation. But the, the only real difference here is that John Jones makes the UFC money. I mean, if for some reason people keep bringing it up over and over again, like this, that's it. I feel like this week with the release of Pena, it, like Dana was trying to like make an example out of him for what John did. Like, hey, we're still doing something, but we're not going to do it to this guy. But look, we still, it's like when they did the code of conduct thing, like what happened to that? It's just like, it's a, it's, it's theater for the MMA journalists, for the fans that actually care about that sort of thing. But the answer is that it's not going to change. I don't think. Yeah, David, I mean, I, I laid out the resumes between Pena and Jones, the weight discrepancies between the two are massive when it comes to these resumes. And I hate to present something like this in such a way, but Nathan already kind of laid it out there. Like, is this the answer? Like, Pena, not a ton of return, not a lot of ROI, if you will. Jones, potentially, still some value. And, and it's, I guess, worth it for the UFC to wait and see how it plays in courts. But let's be honest, John, for as great as he is and the name value he carries, hasn't been a massive pay-per-view draw. Yeah, I mean, here's the reality. And I, I one thing Nathan said that I loved, he said the theater of it all. That's 100% the truth. That is the reality of it because that's what this comes down to. Um, the problem is, is that there's just no consistency. There's zero consistency with the UFC when it comes to punishment. You know, I mean, years ago, 
they find Nate Diaz for making, I think he made a homophobic slur. They find him. Uh, you know, they, they've done a couple of these things with releases where they've released a guy or a girl or whatever for, you know, a, an outside the cage incident. But by and large, they are unbelievably inconsistent. And the reality is John Jones, based just on the things he did before this arrest, could have easily gotten him tossed. I mean, we're talking about multiple DUIs, multiple arrests for that, the hit and run. I mean, we I, I honestly thought in 2015 when he had the hit and run accident and the details came out about that, how he fled the scene and there was a pregnant woman involved. I thought, that's it, man. You don't come back from that. Like, you don't hit a pregnant woman with your car and run from the scene and people are just gonna you know, stand by you. Well, six years later, he's still in the UFC. He was still champion. You know, and so you think, what's what is the breaking point? And it sure doesn't seem like there is one. You would think domestic violence, which to me is the most abhor- one of the most abhorrent things you can do in life, much less being a professional freaking fighter and assaulting a woman, uh, is the lowest of the low. Now, again, we don't know all the details. I'm not trying to, you know, just you know, crucify him in the court of public opinion. But, you know, I mean, when you read the police report, it's hard to believe that, you know, what happened was an accident. You know, it's hard to believe that something physical didn't go on there. And when you read that, you just wonder, like, what's the breaking point? I mean, really, like, what is the breaking point? Like, if he, let's say he pleads no contest or, or you know, he, he gets a lesser reduced charge or whatever, and, and ultimately, you know, it gets tossed out, doesn't mean it didn't happen. I mean, it doesn't mean that, you know, we've seen these cases a million times. I'm sure we've all seen the, the just the tragedy of domestic violence where, you know, cases are brought up and then they go away because maybe the victim doesn't want to press charges or they change their mind. I mean, this is a, a classic symptom of domestic violence. Um, doesn't mean it didn't happen. Doesn't mean that you're absolved from the crime. And the UFC's essentially going silent on John Jones, then releasing Luis Pena days after his arrest speaks volumes about their inconsistency and what matters most to them. And that's just the reality because John Jones at, you know, six arrests or whatever it is now. And again, I'm not saying the guy shouldn't be given second chances. I'm all for second chances. I think one of the biggest problems we have in this country is people getting out of jail and and then they're just damned for life that they can never come back from that, which is ridiculous. I think you can rehabilitate. I think you can recover and have a second chance. But John in his professional career, this is a lot different. In his professional career, he's been given second chances like five times already. Uh, you'd think this would be the the, you know, the straw that breaks the camel's back, but that's not the case. And so that's the problem. There's no consistency. Uh, and that's what my biggest issue. I, I don't have an issue with them releasing Luis Pena. You know what? Two arrests on domestic violence charges in the span of four months. And this last one, when you read the police report, you hear the 911 call. It's pretty bad. And and I know we don't know what's going to happen in court, you know, but still, like at that point, you know what? Okay. We got to be done. I agree. I don't disagree with the decision to release a guy like that, but to have this happen two weeks after John Jones and they never made a public statement about John Jones. They, I mean, Dana did the interview at the press where he said, I'm not even surprised anymore, but the UFC never disavowed, you know, they never disavowed the action. They never put out a statement like all organizations typically do saying we do not, you know, we, you know, we understand that John Jones is involved in an incident. We, you know, we, uh, we, you know, we, we hate the idea of domestic violence, any of that stuff. The typical thing you see from the NFL, NBA, other organizations, they never did that. And it's just like, it's, it just boggles my mind how you can act so quickly in one instance and then just be so tone deaf in the other. It's just a wild 
it's just, it's just wild the line of thinking and 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 the c- comparisons and contrasting it's just it's just unbelievable so it's also something to think about too though it's not like i know we're harping on the ufc here but it's really not just the ufc because winkle john going on helwani's show and saying that oh he can't come and train here but we're still going to corner him and <laughs> we'll still train him somewhere else that's saving face too like that is still not he's not really punishing John. He's saving face and he's saying, oh, I have a wife and I have daughters. So that uh, you don't need a wife and daughters to know that domestic violence is wrong. So the whole thing, it's not just the UFC to me. There's a bunch of people that will excuse John Jones behavior for as long as he is around. Yeah, and then John's responses and everything. It's just, and, and I agree with some of the people. It's like, dude, actions speak louder than words, and people want to see some action here. So, Dave, let me ask you about this because Nathan makes an interesting point. Mike Winkle John was on the MA Hour, said essentially like everything Nathan said, but also said like, you know, the door's still open. He's not welcome back here until he stops drinking and cleans up his act. And this is obviously like a huge story yesterday, and John responds and. You know, the, the news cycle is always hungry and looking for food, Damon, as you know. And, you know, I actually had some people DM me on Instagram being like, listen, I get it. But why would Mike Winklejohn go on the biggest MMA show on planet Earth and make this announcement and not just keep this to himself? That this is sort of a behind closed doors type of conversation that you have between yourself and the fighter. And it's not really his place to put that kind of information out in public like that. Of course, I get the PR side of where he's coming from. You don't want to have that sort of attachment to the story, but there are people that wondered if he should have kept this whole thing to himself. So what was your reaction, Damon, to Mike revealing that to Ariel and the thousands upon thousands of people watching his show at the time? Well, you know, at first I thought at first, when I first heard, I was like, you know what? Kudos, you know, good job, you know, making a call and, and standing by, you know, this is the this is their biggest star. This is their biggest you know their biggest draw. This is the guy who's been on that team and stayed with that team. A lot of people have left. Other guys have retired. You know, Cowboy has now opened his own gym. A lot of guys have gone up there to train. John Jones is the face of Jackson Winklejohn, for better or worse. And to say that guy's not allowed in the gym anymore, uh, you know, when you first hear that, you're like, wow. You know what? That at least he like at least one guy's making a stand. You know what I mean? Like for all the ways the UFC is kind of dropping the ball on John Jones, at least he's making a stand. But then he immediately starts walking it back and he says, Oh well, you know, we may have him back if he stops drinking, cleans well, what's the what's the you know, what's the what's the requirement? Like he stops drinking? Like is that it? Is that the requirement? Like we don't have to address the domestic violence part of this. So you have women in your gym or, I mean, and then like, like Nathan said, like he has a wife and a daughter. Well, I appreciate that, but it doesn't mean you shouldn't be, you know, uh, uh, you know, just, just appalled by this behavior regardless. Uh, and then, and then, and then telling, and then they put out a statement afterwards to ESPN saying, well, both coach Greg Jackson and Brandon Gibson are going to continue to work with him off site. Then there's no punishment. He's not, <laughs> he, can't, he can't walk through the doors for a couple of months. Oh man. What the tragedy is that boy. I tell you, you really, you really told him you really made him pay for it. Uh, so it ended up, I think they end honestly, I think they came out worse 
making the announcement than if they would have just said, hey, man, don't come in the gym for six months. Like, we can't have you in there. It's just not right right now and kept it quiet. And then John comes out with a statement that makes himself painted as the victim, which is utterly ridiculous. I mean, this whole (laughs) like like this whole thing went sideways. Like all if you really meant it, if you really meant what you're saying, you would have talked to Greg Jackson, you would have talked to Brandon Gibson, you would have talked to the team and said, listen, we can't keep dealing with it. We can't. The distraction and his behavior has gotten too bad. We can't have that in the gym. We need to ask him to leave, but we need to do it as a team. We need to vote. We need to vote. We need to whatever. You know, we need to come together as a team and decide we can't be associated with John right now. And maybe a year from now, maybe that changes, and you don't need to say, well, maybe it's to you know just be done with it. And then maybe a year from now, when he you know, if he really does redeem himself and he gets his life put in order, all these kind of things happen. Then maybe you say, you know what, we've decided to invite John back in. At that point, people would probably be like, oh, you're giving him a second chance. He gave him a second chance before he finished his sentence. Uh, so yeah, it, it's a terrible look, and it's and it's honestly a, a, just a pointless announcement. It, it's a, it, it does come off purely as a PR move now, because you're saying he's not he's banned, but he's not really banned. He's banned, but he can come back if he fixes his life. He's banned, but our coaches are going to still work with him in his garage as opposed to our gym you're not banned that's not a ban that's not a ban whatsoever a ban is saying we're not going to invite him in the gym and we're not going to work with this guy anymore that's what a ban is uh so i think i think making the announcement actually came off worse uh than than actually you know just not saying anything i i completely agree i didn't think about that at first but then i guess the questions kept coming in and then kind of hearing nathan sort of paint that picture as well it's just and then hearing you just like go through the 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 other details of it all and the statements espn it's just it's just wild this whole situation is handled piss poorly by absolutely everybody involved right now it's just an unfortunate situation everywhere and uh, like i i guess the thing i i left yesterday with just trying to find some semblance of positivity in such a shitty situation. I truly hope that John Jones is telling the truth. Like I really hope deep down he's telling the truth and that nothing happened. He didn't strike anybody. This is all out of proportion. I really hope that's the case. I don't, I mean, I can't say, but I really hope that we come out of this being like, okay, this is a misunderstanding. Just, just, I mean, I just don't want to, I, I hate talking about it and, and I don't want to see, it's just a horrifying story. This shouldn't happen to anybody, kids, wives, women at all. And well, and, well the reality is we're never going to know. That's it's true. It was, it was two people in the room. And even when the police came there and the police report you read, you know, his fiance said, oh, well, he got a little bit physical. Like she didn't want to talk about it. I get it. I've lived around domestic violence my entire life. And, and as I said, uh, you know, and I, I kind of live a little bit closer to the Derek Lewis philosophy when, you know, Derek talks about, you know, when he kind of lashed at Greg Hardy and he said, you know, I, I have zero tolerance. I grew up around it and I just can't be around that. You know, I kind of live in that same world. I grew up around it. I lived around it. And so you'll never, we'll never know the truth. I mean, the reality is, like, even if his fiance comes out and says, he never hit me. Yeah, but we hear that all the time from right. domestic violence victims. I mean, like I said, what happened in Greg Hardy's case? He got charged and, and the case got dismissed. There's photos out there. There's all kinds of evidence of what he, you know, what he allegedly did. But he didn't get convicted in court, so does it mean it didn't happen? No. So that that's the sad reality. We'll never know. I mean, his fiance could come out and put a statement out, a, a ten-page statement out tomorrow, saying here's what happened, and you know he never struck me. But it doesn't mean it didn't happen. It just means right. that we'll never know. We'll never know the truth. Yeah, there's only a few select people who actually will know, and will always know, and what happened that night in Las Vegas. But it is what it is. This has been a, a big topic second or final quarter of 2021 and uh 
John Jones is still in the UFC as for right now. So we'll see what happens there. Um, but let's, let's transition more to the day-to-day MMA events chatter. We will go ahead and do that. But the point for round two, and these are like the worst points to give away. Nathan gets it. He made some really interesting points. Looked at it in a different way. It's just it's like the worst point to get, but it's still a point nonetheless. Yeah. I'm stealing I'm stealing the theater of it all, by the way, Nathan. That was brilliant. I did like that yeah. line very much. I'll tell you, it's 100% accurate. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the UFC portion of this and how they're presenting it is is what earns you the point. Um, Like I said, it's always tough to transition, but this weekend, gentlemen, we got ourselves a doubleheader. We got ourselves a doubleheader. We have the UFC returning to the apex. We got UFC Vegas 40, and this is headlined, this is true, by Aspen Ladd versus Norma Dumont at 145 pounds. Then we have Bellator 268, the semifinals of the light heavyweight Grand Prix. We got Vadim Nemkov versus tournament alternate julius and glickus that is the main event for the title and then we got Corey anderson versus ryan bader in the co-main event winners will meet next year in the finals at some point there's other interesting matchups and storylines on both of these cards if you really dig deep but not a ton of buzz quite frankly around either of these events so nathan we're gonna go back to you so if you're if your television or wherever you're at, your laptop or whatever, only allowed you to watch one of these events and you couldn't watch the other, you couldn't go on social media and follow along with the other card, you couldn't even know what happens for the next 48 hours. This is your weekend MMA fix. Choose one. What are you going with? Does the UFC even have a chance in your eyes? No. Honestly, uh, honestly, I, I'm, a, I'm an MMA degenerate. I'd really watch anything and... You know, this is a potential just skip it all sort of uh, week for me. But Bellator does have the better card. Um, and that's not saying much at all. I mean, there's no way around it. This is the worst UFC card in recent memory. Um, I think uh, AK Lee said it recently that there's not a single ranked fighter on this card outside of Aspen Ladd, who's not fighting in the weight class that she's ranked in. Um, but there's some stuff on Bellator that's interesting. I think Corey Anderson and uh, Ryan Bader is interesting. There's a backstory there with them training together. There's the uh, story of Anderson at odds with the UFC and finding a new home with Bellator and uh, being successful there. Um, and he had a, a great line, I thought, when he said uh, the UFC gave him a career and Bellator gave him a life. I mean, that's good stuff. That's like – that's – there's, he's selling me on it. There's something there. Um, from fan standpoint, that's something to lean on. You know, the sport of MMA thrives on these stories. And we sort of keep talking about this, right? Like, this will be Leon Edwards' biggest fight because of the storyline. And you don't need to really even sell this. But, like, the, the, the promotion, you know, the UFC machine, they can toss that together real easy uh, for that three piece in a soda and do it. This is just all on Anderson's doing. I mean, it's kind of a story of like, to me, it's like a, a, a fuck you to your boss. And then you go and you find work somewhere else and you're happier and uh, you're more successful. And so that's what it could be for him if he wins. So I think that's probably the, the best fight of the weekend. What, what do you think, Damon? Like, I, I know the UFC card is is not good on paper, um, 
Bellator card has some interesting ones, but like top to bottom, if we're talking weight of these fights, it's pretty comparable if we're being honest. But little stakes in the UFC card, but there's entertainment potential, certainly. If you really look at these matchups, there's some really good pieces of matchmaking here. Just not really big names. So, but to you, is this an easy Bellator pick for you? It, it is because of, of the one fight, and that comes down to Ryan Bader and, and Corey Anderson. Uh, you know, Listen, I Vadim Nimkov, I think, is one of the best light heavyweights in the world, and it's always fun to watch him fight. But got to be honest, if it was him and Anthony Johnson, we'd be you know all buzzing about that fight. Unfortunately, it's not, and no offense whatsoever to Julius Anglicus, but you know, no, you know, until about three weeks ago, most people had never heard his name, much less believe he has a great shot of beating Vadim Nimkov. And if he does somehow pull off the upset, it would be one of the greatest upsets in the history of the sport because this guy, you know, in, in theory, has no business even being in there with Vadim Nimkov. So the reality is, Corey Anderson and Ryan Bader is the best fight of the weekend. And I argue this all the time. I'm I'm a fan of, of great fun fights. I love fun fights. Julian Marquez and Jordan Wright is going to be fun for about the you know two minutes and thirty seconds it probably lasts. It's going to be a great fight. You know, Mano uh, Furiot, who's who's fighting uh, uh, Myra Bueno Silva. That's a fun fight. Furiot is a great prospect, uh, and and right up there I think with Casey O'Neill as far as like the best flyweight prospects in our sport right now. Uh, Jim Miller, legend, love Jim as. Uh, as Joe Silva called him, pardon my language, Jim fucking Miller. Uh, you know, great. I love seeing Jim fight. But the reality is that I say this all the time. People argue with me. You know, some of the purists, some of the people who just you know, love the sport in general. And I love the sport. I, you know, I loved it. I've been covering it for 20 years. Stakes matter. Stakes matter. I love fun fights. I love wars. But afterwards, we're buzzing about a great fight. It goes away in a week. It goes away in two weeks. When there are stakes involved... It matters when you have two ranked guys or two ranked girls fighting where the winner is going to be a title contender or again, obviously a title fight, but, or, or there's a, or as Nathan mentioned, there's an actual storyline built in. Like there's some real heat between people. Um, stakes matter. The UFC card has literally zero stakes. None, none whatsoever. Jim Miller might be able to set a couple more records because he's Jim fucking Miller. Uh, you know, Carlos Felipe apparently really doesn't like Andre Orlovsky, but does it matter? Aspen Ladd is is one of the last people in the world who hasn't fought Amanda Nunes, and now apparently she's going to have to do it a featherweight because she can't make Bantamweight anymore. Uh, and she's in a division where there's no rankings because there's no fighters. <laughs> so there's zero stakes. There's none. At least Bellator legitimately has three ranked light heavyweights at the top of the card. You have Vadim Nimkov, and this is according to the MMA fighting global MMA rankings, the best rankings in the world. Uh, Vadim Nimkov is the top 10 light heavyweight. Ryan Bader is the top 10 light heavyweight. Corey Anderson is the top 10 light heavyweight. There are stakes involved in those fights. Uh, there is a title fight involved, and there is a Grand Prix which unfortunately has kind of fallen apart a bit by now because we missed out on Yoel Romero and Anthony Johnson getting to this point in the tournament, but uh, we have a, a potential of, you know, some great light heavyweight fights. So the stakes matter. And so by that regard, Bellator clearly gets the win in terms of quality of, 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 uh, of card overall. But again, uh, to kind of agree with my opponent here, neither one is really that strong. Uh, I made a jo I made a joke the other day in one, of, in one of our meetings, and I'll say it publicly now. If you put both of these cards together, it's kind of like what George Costanza said on Seinfeld. If you take everything I've done in my life and boil it down to one day, it looks decent. 
if you take both of these cards and combine them, you might get a decent card. Uh, you know, at least the two fives, maybe you're kind of interested in Aspen Lad and whatever. But, yeah, it's I mean, it's a barren wasteland this weekend. we got to be honest. But, ultimately, the stakes matter, and the stakes are with Bellator. Yeah. yeah and if you remember ahead, at man. the end of that episode, uh, George is uh, naked in the bathroom stall. <laughs> and the girl says, I told you this city would eat you alive. <laughs> That's really funny. And you know what? Out of nowhere, there's actually stakes in uh, the Benson Henderson Brent Primus fight because Patricia Pimple's not a champion anymore. His brother's right. about to fight for a title against Peter Queeley. So now, I mean, somehow Benson Henderson could earn a title shot if he beats. Brent Primus on Saturday. I mean, what a what a wild sport that we are a part of. Of course, we'll have you covered over on MMA Fighting with both of those cards. I like the Jim Miller fight. I think he's got his hands full with Eric Gonzalez. That dude is an absolute terror. Uh, that's a great piece of business. I really like that fight. Uh, no stakes, but it's just a really interesting matchup, especially with the 38-fight UFC discrepancy there. Um, but I believe we're going to be at the Bellator event. So get excited, everybody. Mom deserves the best. And there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market with threats to our nation waiting around every corner adaptability is more important than ever when conditions change without notice quick strategic thinking is crucial and with obstacles consistently impending determination is essential in overcoming them it's this willingness decisiveness and resilience that sets marines apart with our fighting spirit we don't just fight battles we win them marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Uh, final round of regulation next, but the point for round three goes to... When you quote Seinfeld, you, you just win the round. So Damon is up two to one. And I'm very excited for this because we haven't done this in a while. We haven't done a quick hits potpourri kind of a round in a minute. And we're, we're running a little low on time here. So we're going to get to as many of these as we can. But I do want to touch on, because we haven't talked about it yet... The fallout of UFC Vegas 39 and Marina Rodriguez's big win over Mackenzie Dern and what this does to things at 115 pounds. Of course, we got Rose Namajunas versus Zhang Wei Li for the 115-pound title at UFC 268. We got Carlos Sparza, who everyone feels should be next in line. Dana White still not ready to say as much. He's even nudging her, giving the little, come on, dude, you got to take another fight. Like, you should probably take another fight here. Marina and pretty much all fans of stand-up wars want to see her fight Ioanni and Jacek, who hasn't competed since that crazy fight with Whaley last year because she's out living her best life and making a bunch of money on social media and doing a million different things, and she doesn't seem to be in a huge rush to come back. And hopefully we get some answers on that soon. But Nathan, let me ask you this. What do you think happens first? Ioanni and Jacek comes back to the UFC and fights anybody at all, or Kyler Esparza fights for a UFC title? Honestly, I think uh, Joanna fights before Esparza. Um, I think the difference maker here is maybe Joanna doesn't want to fight right now. She's doing something else. But if she wants to fight, it's just a phone call away. And, and the UFC will put it together. The UFC actively does not want to book Esparza and Nama Yunus, which is 
is silly because you know it's, I, we keep coming back to this point. There's a, there is a built-in storyline here, um, with uh, Esparza being the last person to, uh, or not the last person to beat Rose, but um, there's something there. So I think that you could drum up interest in it, and I don't see why they wouldn't make it. But you know, Dana going out and saying he doesn't want it. That's that's just what it is. So I think probably. I think Yolanda probably fights before. Yeah, you. I mean, you speak Dana White pretty well, Nathan. It's uh, it's. He never really says anything, but it's it's pretty easy to decipher from time to time if you really think about it. But what do you <laughs> think, David? I mean, you, you spoke to Carla. I, I, I've spoken to Carla recently, and you've spoken to Yolanda not that long ago. And what do you think happens here? Like, do you think we see Yolanda and Jacek fight somebody in the UFC before Carla gets a title shot, or do you think the UFC is finally just going to be like? We got no choice. We have to throw in there, despite Dana never saying those words. No, I, I mean I, I agree. I think Joanna fighting first is more likely, and there's a couple of reasons for that. One, Joanna just, as Nathan said, she just has to say I want to fight, and she fights. I mean, they tried to book her in July, uh, and when I talked to Joanna, they tried to book her in July. She just didn't have enough time to get over to the states to put her training camp together at American Top Team. She was back at American Top Team right before the summer working out and training a little bit and hoping to get a fight. She wanted, you know, Zhang Weili or or Rose. They ended up booking that rematch instead, which I think everyone kind of agrees didn't really need to happen. I mean, you know, when you get, you know, knocked out in a minute 12 or whatever it was, you don't really deserve an immediate rematch, even if you were a champion, uh, unless you were a long-reigning champion, which Zhang Weili was not. Um, So I think you would have seen Yuana back already if she could have fought Rose and or Weili. Uh, so I think that's it. She just needs to say, I want to fight. The other problem that Rose is working, or excuse me, the other problem that Carla's working against here beyond the public, which is that, you know, kind of like what Leon Edwards deals with, there's no one real. I mean, there's people, there's hardcore fans like us shouting to the heavens saying she's done more than enough to deserve it. Absolutely. Carla Desparza 100% deserves the title shot. The problem is the crowd at large is not doing that. There's not that buzz on social media saying, man, Carla got screwed. She really deserves this. There's just not that buzz there for her. Um, And the other problem is, and this is from my conversation with Carla, she's getting married in May. She's got a wedding coming up in May. Uh, She wants to fight before that. If this starts getting dragged out or whatever, and it gets close to that, she's not going to delay her wedding. She's got a wedding in May. It's already scheduled. So if they don't give her the title shot before that, then we're talking about after that. And that's, I mean, we could be talking about a year from now. You know what I mean? So I think that's the problem we're dealing with here. And even though Carla has a win over Marina Rodriguez, uh, you know, we're all, I said it before, we're all guilty of recency bias. Marina just went out and had a spectacular performance against Mackenzie Dern. And you know, if Mackenzie had won, they would have been pushing her hardcore to the title because Mackenzie is that star on the rise. And rightfully so. Mackenzie looked fantastic leading into that fight. She gets beat for the better part of four rounds by Marina Rodriguez. And then Marina also fights her way out of that you know terrible position on the ground with Mackenzie, which has kind of been her weak spot. She fights out of that and wins a fight impressively don't don't tell me for a second that you don't think the UFC wouldn't try to sell that and say, oh, well, she's improved a lot since that Carla Esparza fight. And that fight against Mackenzie Dern really showed us something. We're going to give her the title shot. We've seen it happen a million times, okay? So, Joanna, all she has to do is say, I'll fight. That's it. I'll fight. And she's back. Uh, and that's it. So, yeah, Carla, unfortunately, her best shot was right now. She had the buzz coming out that Yan Zhao Nan fight when she just absolutely demolished that girl 
And then she has the dominant win over Rose. She didn't get it now. You know, the interest in that fight is going to go away day by day. And it's already going away. We got to be honest. Yeah, I, I feel like she's going to have to fight Joanna right now. Like, try to get that one she back. Need, she needed to pull a Juliana Pena and just turn heel and start talking that shit. Yeah. That's, that's what she needed to do. Jose Young's joke that he should have, she should have, like, called Paul Felder out and been like, what kind of stupid suit are you wearing? And just like kind of just, <laughs> just went full on heel on him, which would have been hilarious. But uh, so that's an interesting start. I, I do want to touch on one more thing because I thought this is a pretty fascinating conversation. And I'll start back with you, Damon. Francis Ngannou did an interview yesterday. You and I have been trying to book this interview for a long time, but good old Ariel comes in and gets it done on the biggest show in the, in the world. And, and I don't blame him. But so he goes on the MAR. He had a lot to say about his current contract. He's obviously not overly enthused with it. He addressed the whole interim title situation with Cyril Gaon and Derek Lewis, the upcoming fight with Cyril Gaon. And he doesn't feel at the end, I guess the big conclusion is that the UFC wants to be in the Francis and Ganu business. Like he's not getting that big push, which is insane to me, Damon, because he's one of the most terrifying people to look at on planet earth and his finishes the way he puts people down it just adds like a thousand exclamation points if you're talking about promotional stuff in sports and doing it easy friends and Gano might be the easiest athlete to promote in the world and they're not doing it i truly do not understand this damon because this guy's got money written all over him and it's so easy to to get that return on investment and they're not doing it so of, of course David, as you know in the sport, the UFC has their story about Francis and dealing with his manager and so forth and so on. Francis has his and his team has their story about where this all went wrong. And somewhere in the middle, Damon, is the truth, right? Like, do you have any read on this? Like, when you heard Francis and kind of hear where the UFC is coming from, where is the disconnect here in your eyes? Well, you know, generally with these kind of situations, you try to look at it nuanced. Like you said, you know, there's one side, there's the other side, and somewhere in the middle lies the truth. Unfortunately, this particular instance, uh, I am 100% on Team Francis Ngannou because I don't believe he's done anything wrong whatsoever except gone out there and, you know, knocked his opponent's head into the third round every time he steps into the cage. Uh, he deserves better than what they're doing for him. I mean, that's just the reality. He beat Steve Miocic, arguably the greatest heavyweight of all time goes out there and beats him in the second round avenges his worst loss the just, uh, just a lopsided terrible fight uh against Stipe the first time comes back avenges that loss knocks out arguably the greatest heavyweight of all time uh inarguably the greatest ufc heavyweight of all time just based on title defenses Stipe has definitely cinched up that title goes out and does that and and then you know it, it's it's almost like crickets and then three months later you're saying because the guy doesn't want to fight you're trying to sell us on the interim title which is utterly utterly ridiculous i mean it was it is quite possibly the dumbest interim title fight in the history of the sport now this is none of this is you know surreal gone's fault of course but the ufc has done francis Ngannou so dirty it's just i mean it's ridiculous now francis will tell you and I've interviewed Francis. I interviewed him, you know, before and after the title fight with Stipe. Francis will be the first one to tell you after that Stipe fight, it, it woke him up to reality. He was getting a big head on his shoulders. Everything that Dana kind of said about him at that point, that he was getting a bit of an ego and, you know, kind of thought like, you know, his stuff didn't stink, like all that kind of stuff. That was true. It, it, Francis will be the first to admit he got a big head on his shoulders and he didn't, he didn't listen to his coaches. He wasn't doing what he should have been doing. And he had to get humbled, and it got humbled in a big, big way. When you talk to Francis now, not only is he like the nicest guy in the world, he is one of the most marketable fighters 
in the history of the sport, his story coming from Cameroon to France, living homeless, trying to be a boxer, becoming a mixed martial artist, and then four years later, five years later, whatever it's been, becoming UFC heavyweight champion, one of the most feared guys on the planet. And we all know the heavyweight division, for better or worse, always gets eyeballs. I mean, people love heavyweights. Look at Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder this past weekend. Was that the most skilled boxing match in history? No. I guarantee you there's lighter weight classes to put on more skilled boxing matches. But it was freaking awesome. It was one of the greatest <laughs> fights in boxing. I love that match. You know what I mean? We love great heavyweight fights. Um, they've blown it. The UFC has blown it. Like they completely screwed the pooch on this one. They have. They have. You. It's impossible to to, to quantify how badly they mucked up this situation by not only just throwing money at France and say, how much do you want? Here's a blank check and we'll sign it because we want you to be part of our organization for years to come. They blew it from a marketing standpoint. They should have had the, the uh, embedded cameras following him to go home to Cameroon. There should have been a freaking UFC special. The UFC heavyweight champion goes home to Cameroon. They should have done a freaking half hour special on ESPN plus with him going home. They didn't do that. And then three months later, you're trying to sell us on a bill of, on, on a card saying he wanted to go on vacation. He can call us when he wants to fight. Guess what, Dana? He fought three freaking months ago. Uh, yeah, it's, I mean, like I said, I try to see both sides of the issue, and I try to at least you know, somewhat argue both sides of the issue. This time, I'm 100% team Ngannou. What do you think, Nathan? Because I remember I remember hearing Jim Cornette, the, fo- the former pro wrestling manager, talk about this, and he talked about like heels in professional wrestling and the reason that tickets get sold, it's because you find a guy, especially in a heel role, not saying that is a heel, but just you find a guy in the world where if fans see this guy walk towards them, they're like, I would never in a million years want to fight that guy because he would kick the living hell out of me and i feel like francis ngano is the antithesis of that in the ufc like and he it turns out like damn said he's the sweetest guy in the world like and he's got a tremendous story but we're trying to we already know that but the casual viewer the ones that they're trying to bring in all you need to see is a picture of this guy and you're like oh my god who the hell is that dude and for some reason the ufc cannot promote this guy he should be one of the biggest stars in the sport and now we're hearing that the issues they're having behind the scenes of the UFC, which obviously we have, this is not the first time we've heard this, and it certainly won't be the last. But when you heard Francis kind of talk about his struggles and the things he's dealing with behind the scenes with the UFC, how did you react to all of that? What were your thoughts? Um, my Listen, Francis Ngannou has the potential to be the biggest heavyweight superstar the UFC has ever had. Like you said, he's got the look. He's, and this is not just pro wrestling, but like Vince McMahon very famously loved those big, scary guys. They look like action figures or superheroes. There's a reason because those people sell tickets. You look at them and they're almost inhuman. They look like something that you could only imagine uh, in a comic book or something. But the thing that was most interesting to me was that Francis, he seems like, the the one quote that he said was when Ariel asked him, uh, what do you want in like a perfect world? What does Francis Ngannou get from the UFC? And his response was respect. That's it. That's not too much to ask for. He didn't say a number. He didn't say he wanted more money. He didn't say he wanted a promotional push. He said he wanted respect. And that's the same thing that Corey Anderson said. 
He said he loved when he got to Bellator and uh, Scott Coker called him a few hours later and said, I want to meet with you and I want to talk to you. And they just talked. There was no specific thing they talked about. But all the while, when Corey was in the UFC, he couldn't get just a moment of time from Hunter Campbell, from any of the guys. Uh, Obviously, you know, not the... uh, not the big guy upstairs, but like, it seems very reasonable to for somebody like Francis Ngannou to get respect, especially when you're the baddest man on the planet. It seems silly that they can't somehow figure that out. Just wild. It's just so easy. It makes no sense to me. But hey, we're not promoters. We don't know shit about this business, right, guys? Right, Dana? Right, Dana? We don't know shit about the business. So why are we even talking about it? But uh. Great point, Nathan. We're going to wrap up this final round with that. And uh, the respect factor puts you over the hump in a tremendous fourth round. We're going to go to the knockout round. Shocker. This never happens on the show. We're going to have have, uh, one question. Each gentleman's going to have 60 seconds to answer said question. They get the same question here. I was torn between two. I'm just going to land on this one because it's a fun little talking point. Some barbershop conversation. After that 60 seconds, we will announce a winner based on the response. And then we'll make the big announcement in terms of where the show's going to go for the fourth quarter of 2021. But Damon, you are the man. You got the votes. You going first? Or you passing it on over to Nathan? I will defer uh, to the to the rock star who is appearing on our show uh, because uh, he deserves that. And and also before we get to the final votes, or anything, Nathan, you Nathan, you the man. I'm very impressed. Like I said, you never know. What you're going to get when you get somebody you're not familiar with, dude, you brought it. Great, great job, man. You're really, I'm, I'm super impressed. I appreciate it. It's all respect here. You know, this is not like a, this is not a matchup with Jed Mashu. It's nothing but respect. Here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it so much. So, all right. So th- this is a classic barbershop kind of question, Nathan. So we're going to start off with you and maybe Damon deferring. Maybe it's the wrong way, but maybe you have differing opinions and different view sets. So, We're getting to that point where award season is around the corner and the fight of the year race, at least as of right now, seems to be down to two men heading into the final months of the year who both have giant fights coming up. It appears that it's between Kamar Usman, who has the two title defenses, two finishes against Gilbert Burns, knockout of the year contender against Jorge Mazadal. He's getting ready, obviously, to fight Colby Covington at UFC 268. And then we have Dustin Poirier, who has two finishes of Conor McGregor. He's getting ready to challenge Charles Oliveira for the lightweight title at UFC 269. So the question is, let's say both guys win the same way. Either both win by decision, both win by finish. Who, in your opinion, will be the fighter of the year in 2021? So... I guess in a simpler way, as of right now, who is the fighter of the year? Is it Kamara Usman or is it Dustin Poirier? Or are you willing to make the case for somebody else besides those two gentlemen? One minute on the clock. Your time starts now. So if we're just ranking fighter of the year based solely on what these guys do in the cage, this has nothing to do with the promotion. This has nothing to do with popularity, I think. It's got to be Kamara Usman. And it's tough because Kamara Usman has fought Jorge Masvidal twice. And Dustin Poirier has fought Conor McGregor twice. Um, But I think I'm even, you know, I'm looking at it just in the year, but I'm also looking at Kamara Usman getting to that point 
of all-time great. And no disrespect to Dustin Poirier because I, I love Dustin Poirier. And I actually think that he's likely to win his fight with Charles Oliveira. But I think Kamara Usman, it's time to start putting him Ten seconds. in the conversations with George St. Pierre and the other greats uh, in MMA. All right. Kamara, one vote for Kamara Usman. So, Damon, same question. This is going to be a... I have a feeling, just based on the odds and how we all believe this, these fights are going to play out, uh, this will be a greater debate come the end of the year, but it's one maybe we can get ahead of right now. So we got Kamara Usman, we got Dustin Poirier. It seems like that is 1A and 1B in this Fighter of the Year conversation right now, but maybe there's somebody else out there that... Maybe there's a Kevin Holland-esque figure out there that no one's talking about right now for Fighter of the Year. So... One minute on the clock, Damon. Is it Usman? Is it Poirier? Is it somebody else? Your time starts now. It's Kamar Usman, and to me, it's not really all that close, and that's not a knock whatsoever on Dustin Poirier. It's just based on level of competition. Dustin beating Connor the first time was incredibly impressive because, because it was avenging a past loss, and he did it in really a dominant fashion. Knocked him out in the second round. That was a great performance. The second fight, unfortunately, ended with the broken leg. Now, Dustin was winning. Uh, Do I believe Dustin would have won that fight? 100%, I believe he would have won that fight, but it still had some controversy around it. So, Dustin getting a win over Charles Oliveira will be very impressive, but still not quite the same as going out and beating, let's say, a Habib Nurmagomedov. You know, it's not quite that level of, of, uh, you know, accomplishment at this point. So, it's Usman. You beat Gilbert Burns, who is, what, number two or whatever at welterweight? I mean, this guy, number three, whatever it is, unbelievable welterweight. Usman's his only loss the past couple of years. Uh, he just beat Wonderboy. We see we know how good, good Gilbert Burns is. Ten seconds. You smoke you smoke Jorge Masvidal, knock him out, and then you go out and beat Colby Covington a second. That's three top five welterweights in a row. It's Usman, hands down. All right, so we had two votes for Usman. I'm with you guys. I think it's... It's definitely Usman. I understand the Poirier talk, and who knows how the casuals will look at it uh, come the end of the year. And this is a recency bias sport, and Poirier is actually the last man to fight between those two guys. So maybe Poirier and his performance over Oliveira will be just enough in a recency bias sport to get him over the hump. But we shall see. But now we have to crown a winner of this episode of Between the Links. And this is a little tough because you both picked the same answer. But the winner... I love the Red Sox. Did I mention that, though? I love the Red Sox. I've been watching the series. I don't know. Just... Well, okay. Sorry. Go, go ahead. Uh, now I have to reweigh all of this. Uh, the, <laughs> the winner of this week's Between the Lakes is... It's Damon Martin, only because of the of the accuracy in the timeline for Usman. That's it. That's, that's literally the only thing. Uh, so David gets the victory with that. 30 seconds, my friend, to talk about whatever it is you want to talk about, good, bad, and different. Well, I tell you what, uh, I just want to actually, you know, I'm going to take my 30 seconds applauding my opponent because uh, you really brought it, man. I, I was really impressed by everything, the arguments you made. I'm totally stealing your theater of the moment. I'm, I guarantee you I will put that in one of my articles coming up, so be on the lookout for that. I'm absolutely telling you ahead of time I'm stealing that line. And uh, and great job, man. You know, what's fun about this is, you know, I, I'm good friends with, you know, I've been around uh, some musicians before, like I'm buddies with the guy, uh, Phil, who played bass uh, for the band Taproot. I've been around them on tour, and I know that they were huge fight fans. I remember, you know, talking to Jared Leto, who was on a bus with them one time, and he was like, they were watching UFC fights and talking about it. I hung out with 
uh, Jamie Josta. I've done his podcast, huge fight fan. So I'm always, I, I'm a big pop culture guy. I love music, worked in a music store during college. So I just love seeing the crossover when we see fans coming in from all walks of life. And I love seeing stuff like this. So uh, I'm just paying homage to, our, to my opponent today because it's awesome to see uh, people getting involved in sport and, and people being big fans. You're obviously a huge fan. I love hearing that. And, uh, and man, thanks for doing this. I had a blast, and uh, hopefully you'll come back again. Because, uh, man, I tell you what, I think Jed, I think Jed's, I, I don't think Jed has a chance. I'm just saying it right now. I think Jed, <laughs> I think this would have been, I think this wouldn't have made it to the knockout round. I think it would have been over beforehand if it had been Jed. Not, you, you had to face me today, so I understand it's a little tougher, a little tougher matchup. But come back because I think you, you did a fantastic job. Thank you. I appreciate. I appreciate that. I'll come back. I'll do like a, a, a bounce back fight with Jed. Something easier. Pull me up back into the rankings, and, and then I'll come. And I'll get you. <laughs> I love it, Nathan. I appreciate you jumping on, man. Like Damon said, you did a hell of a job. Uh, where can we find you, man? You're uh, you're you're on tour. I believe you're heading to the greatest state in the world, Massachusetts, relatively soon, if memory serves me correctly. But uh, where can we find information? Where can we get tickets to to see you play and find your your music, so forth and so on. Yeah, uh, across every plat- platform, it's uh, Waves, um, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all that shit. And um, I'm on tour right now, and we'll be on tour in the U.S. until November 20th, probably coming to your city. So just look it up. There you go. And real quick before we go, big announcement, big announcement, because things have been in shambles on BTL. People keep asking, who's the freaking champion? Who's going to walk into 2022 as the actual champion? I feel like we have eight friggin' champions right now. So what we're going to do is, and I'm going to put Damon on the spot right now. So get ready, Damon. Beginning UFC 268 Fight Week, we're going to have ourselves our first ever BTL Tournament of Champions. Eight competitors, past champs, past winners will all be a part of it. It's going to be a single elimination tournament. And the finals will wrap up the week after... The final UFC pay-per-view of the year, UFC 269. Winner of the tournament enters the new year as the full-fledged, undisputed BTL champion because we have so many champions right now. We have Phoenix Carnavale, and Jed thinks he's the champion, and Cody Stamen's a champion. There's so many champions that make literally no sense right now. Damon's a champion. Everyone's a champion. So no more. It's time to get organized. Time for some chaos. We'll have a draft. We'll do brackets, etc. This will be a big deal. We will determine who is the best debater in MMA media before this year is over, I can guarantee you that. So stay tuned for that. Damon, are you in? Are you in? Do you want a part of this? Of course I want a part of this. And you can just go ahead and start polishing up that title right now and sending <laughs> it to uh, Columbus, Ohio. Go ahead and get ready. <laughs> so now we got four people. Now we got four people. So, you know, what? I'm going to break down the fourth wall. We haven't even filled the spot yet. Damon's in. Jed is in. James Lynch is in. And Phoenix Carnivale, the GOAT of BTL in a lot of people's minds. She is in as well. Uh, so details to follow. We still got to fill a few more spots. I think we got a couple uh, pretty easily. I think AK wants a chance at redemption. Jose will probably want a piece. So we'll figure this all out. But right before UFC 268 kicks off, that's when this tournament will kick off. So stay tuned for all that. We'll be back again next week with a fun matchup. Damon against TBD. Maybe it'll be a little practice. Damon versus Jed. Get a little momentum heading into the tournament. But until then, thank you very much for watching. For Damon, for Nathan, I am Mike Heck. We'll see you back once again between the legs. Good night, everybody. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. 
What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. The NBA playoffs are heating up and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over. Age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible. And deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources.